it's it's true that not having enough insulin, not having enough strips, not having access to your continuous glucose monitor means by necessity your control's not going to be as good. And what we know, especially in diabetes, is that all you're doing is kicking the can down the road so that the real costs, the real costs that we see are those of the complications. That was Dr. John Anderson. He practices internal medicine and diabetes at the Frist Clinic in Nashville, Tennessee, where he served as the chair of the Department of Medicine. Dr. Anderson is a clinician and a diabetes advocate. He actively leads the AFPA Diabetes Therapy Access Working Group and has served as a longtime volunteer for the American Diabetes Association, both locally and nationally, at the highest levels of leadership. I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to AFPA's Patient Access Podcast. Dr. Anderson, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Mike. I'm excited to be here. Let's jump right in here. The Trump administration recently released guidelines that could benefit millions of patients with diabetes and other chronic conditions. The guidance applies to patients who have high deductible health plans that have attached health savings accounts. These are health plans that offer lower, more manageable monthly premium payments, but the trade-off is that the patients face a high annual deductible. They may be expected to pay thousands and thousands of dollars out of pocket before full insurance coverage kicks in. The new guidance states that patients won't have to use their saved money or meet their deductible before the insurance will pay for preventative care for their chronic conditions. Can you tell us what the implication of this monumental change is for patients with diabetes? Mike, I'm really glad that this administration is actually looking at this because I think unless you're a patient with a chronic disease or you're a provider who sees these patients, you have no idea what these high deductible plans are doing for everyday care. Patients are unnecessarily delaying treatment. They're not getting preventive medicine uh, examinations. They're not doing preventive measures. And it's especially true for people with diabetes or any other chronic disease for that matter. And so being able to not have to meet a deductible or get into a health savings account to pay for things like insulin, pumps, vision screenings, um, it's incredibly important. I've had patients with diabetes with these high deductible plans um, go out of their strips and stop checking glucoses. I've had them miss diabetic eye screening. I mean, it's not just diabetes. These patients are also not getting their colonoscopies. They're not getting their mammograms. Uh, And so it's just been incredibly disruptive. And a lot of these patients don't even realize that they've moved into a high deductible plan or what the implications are until it's halfway through the year and they realize they've got a $5,000 deductible. And so this out-of-pocket help I think will also make sure that people get access, get what they need from their provider, and get their screenings done. That's really interesting. Could you elaborate on that point? Sure, I'd be happy to elaborate. You know, if you are not getting your eye screening and you go three years and you don't detect retinopathy that could have easily been reversible, I mean, you may lose vision, but that doesn't just lose vision. You also may lose your job because of the vision. You may have economic circumstances that turn you upside down. And not only that, you know, it's it's true that not having enough insulin, not having enough strips, not having access to your continuous glucose monitor means by necessity your control's not going to be as good. And what we know, especially in diabetes, is that all you're doing is kicking the can down the road so that the real costs, the real costs that we see are those of the complications. I mean, dialysis is an extraordinarily expensive condition. So is end-stage uh, heart disease, eye disease neuropathy, amputations, stroke, heart attack. I mean, all of those things that come from someone not doing what they need to do 
uh, is just more expensive further down the road than it would be to pay for these minor things now. And that, that's just the burden to the healthcare system. Forget about that. What about the toll on the individuals and the quality of life issues that go into this? Well, what you describe here makes it clear why the policy change being proposed is so important. We understand this change could take place as soon as 2020. Yes, it is positive. Out-of-pocket costs, especially, you know, insulin are high and affect millions of patients every day. If this does get started in 2020, it would be a really positive change. And I think we just need to wait and see how the insurance companies and the third-party payers are going to actually implement this guidance. And I also wonder what the role of the employer, the third-party payer is going to be in all of this. That's an excellent point. It should really be win-win, but we need to watch it and make sure it comes out that way and speak up if it doesn't, right? That's right. Absolutely. There's another issue that can stop patients from getting the treatments they need, and that's non-medical switching. I want to pause here for a second, level set for our listeners who might not be familiar with the term. NMS occurs when a health plan forces a patient to change their medicine for a reason that has absolutely nothing to do with their health. Dr. Anderson, are you able to provide some real-world examples of this that you've seen from your clinical practice? Yes, Mike, this NMS or non-medical switching is actually the bane of existence for a primary care provider practice. And it starts every January when formularies change and pharmacy benefits managers eke out the last bit of cost savings from different drug companies and pharmaceutical companies and device companies. So you have patients who are used to taking a certain insulin, they're going to have to switch to a different insulin. They're used to taking one SGLT2 inhibitor or one GLP-1 receptor. Now they're going to have to take another. And patients don't understand this. They, they frequently will come back and see me in February and they've been off their medicine for a month and a half. And I go, well, what happened? Well, they're, they're not paying for it anymore. Okay, but are they paying for something else in that class? Oh, I don't know. They just simply said, we're not going to pay for it anymore. Go see your doctor. And so not only is it non-medical switching, but it's also not transparent with the patient. So if they say, we're not going to pay for this, but we will pay for this, this, and this, please call your physician and let's get this taken care of. Uh, it's not that simple. We have to then somehow guess a lot of times with all these different third-party payers which of the agents we're going to be able to cover. For example, let's take a GLP-1 receptor agonist. Say a patient's doing a once-a-week injection and it's really been stable and they've gotten their A1C down, their weight's down a little bit, and they've done great for two years and all of a sudden they're not paid for anymore. Well, not only are you switching medicine, but you're switching devices. The entire injection is different. How you load the device, does it need pen needles? Is it an auto injector? Does it have to be mixed? Um, all those things have to t- be taken into account and the pharmacists usually don't have enough time to teach. So what happens is the patients, you know, go without their medication and they say, well, get in touch with your physician. Well, a lot of my patients leave, live 40 miles away. That's an 80 mile round trip just to show how to do a new device. And so it's just incredibly disruptive. And it's not just diabetes, it's antidepressant medications. Fortunately, hypertension is mostly generic now, so we don't see that. But um, it, it really is, it's disruptive. And what happens is as a result of this, is this impacts their condition, right? So you've got somebody who's already mad, upset, frustrated. They just say, forget about it. Um, They don't come in for six months. Their condition is out of control. Um, And every time we have patients who have hyperglycemia, they lose control for a period of time. It, It just increases the burden of risk for future complications. I'm so glad that AFPA and other organizations like the American Diabetes Association and other advocacy organizations are taking on this non-medical switching. The last thing I'll say is this is uncompensated time. 
So we're now working for the pharmacy benefit managers of the third-party payers and insurance companies. So my nurses are on the phone taking themselves through all this process, taking them away from patient care, from what we would really like to do. And I'll tell you, January and February are tough months, not just because it's flu season and people have pneumonia and are sick, but because we're dealing with all this stuff. If you've listened to our patient access podcast, you know that we end on a lightning round. Okay, so this is the lightning round. We're going to give you 20 seconds to answer each of the following questions. Number one, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Superpower, what would I pick? Uh, I would say flying would be pretty cool, but I'd actually like to be able to throw the ball with laser-like focus in the NFL, so maybe, uh, maybe we would be better as a Tennessee Titan team. What compels you to spend so much of your precious free time volunteering in advocacy initiatives such as this? Uh, I do spend a lot of time volunteering in advocacy initiatives because I really care about people with diabetes, but also the American Diabetes Association has been very good to me and given me a chance to do leadership roles in a variety of ways, and I think it's just part of what we do is giving back. If there's one thing about practicing medicine that you could change, what would that be? If there's one thing about practicing medicine I would change, what would it be? Wow. You don't have three hours, so I think the thing that I would say most is take some of the administrative burden off of physicians and let them be physicians. And also think letting physicians be more in the decision-making um, at, at the level of third-party payers and insurers and employers. And finally, Dr. Anderson, what do you like to do in your free time? And what do I like to do in my free time? I love to play golf. I love to work out. My wife and I love to travel, and I spend time uh, with my sons when I can. So, you know. A lot of other things too. Well, Dr. Anderson, thanks so much for your leadership and for being today's guest on AFPA's Patient Access Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Mike, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you.